0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse, and that is the Navigator Series. Now they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the Atlas series within that as well. So go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have. I've been using mine for a couple weeks now, and I am very impressed with the, the fit and the feel. And I can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run. So lacrossefootwear.com, check them out. Welcome to the
1: Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 54, where we talk with Mark Holyoke of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Hello, and thanks again for tuning in to the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. For me, it's early November, and... I just went out and bought a third season rifle tag for elk hunting here in Colorado. It's my first time ever chasing elk with a rifle. We'll see how it goes. I, I'm definitely a bow hunter at heart, but since the little man came right before archery season in in Colorado, I decided uh, you know I I had other priorities as I should. Uh, but now it's my time to get out and hunt a little bit, so I, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Cold weather, there's snow on the ground, and um, we'll see how it goes. I've, I've got a bull tag. I'm gonna and a and a cow tag. So we'll see anything that's legal bull or you know uh, any cow that walks in front of me. I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely chasing that meat. I'm not I'm not uh, a trophy hunter by any means. I just want some delicious elk meat in the freezer so I can grill that up cook it however i want and enjoy elk steaks for the next four or five six months however long it lasts but i'm looking forward to that so i i'll uh, i'll definitely keep you guys posted how things go uh it is november so i can't help to think about a little whitetail hunting it's it's in my blood so any guys out there chasing whitetails in the midwest back home good luck to you happy november stay in the tree as long as you can that's all i can say <laughs> All right, so today we have Mark Holyoke of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, RMEF, for for those of you who may or may not know. I've been looking forward to doing this podcast for a long time. I've been a big supporter of RMEF since I moved to Colorado. Um, if you go to our resources page on transitionwild.com, you'll find a link there to go check out their website. Just a really, really great organization for the work that they do, um, not only for elk, but for all wildlife and lands and um, conservation. I mean, you name it, this organization does it all, which is what we talked about in, in a lot of detail with, with Mark today. Mark's very well-spoken. He's the director of communication for RMEF and uh, really paints a, 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 a very detailed picture of how the foundation began and where it is today, how it's grown, and what they're doing for public land access, conservation, habitat, uh, chronic wasting de- disease, uh, the 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 forced potential introduction of wolves to western Colorado. There's a number of hot buttons that they're they they have their hand on and and uh, just it's a really good informational hour. We talk about some of the events and the banquets and things that they have going on throughout the year, how you can get involved, what, it, what it's like to become a member, just a, a really great little over an hour long episode. So I really enjoyed talking with Mark, it was a sincere pleasure, I, I can't talk, <laughs> it's late, it was a sincere pleasure talking with Mark and uh, let's not wait any longer. All right, let's get Mark Holyoke of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace-level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an Expedition. Expedition. All right, on the line with us now we have Mark Holyoke with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. How are you today, Mark?
2: Good, good. We've got a snowy day here in Montana, so that's uh, it's you know for the people that love sun they'll have to suck it up, and like, those of us that like to go out and hunt, it looks good out there.
1: <laughs> I know winter, winter is knocking at the doorstep. We uh, I woke up to about four or five inches of snow myself here in Colorado, so it must be a kind of a big uh, front coming across the west.
2: <laughs> yep. Bring it on.
1: Yeah, it makes for better hunting. I'm I'm actually I didn't pull an archery tag this year. Uh I had a newborn baby in late August so I put the damper on the <laughs> on the bow hunting. So I'm uh I'm going to pick up a third season rifle tag here for elk and that starts this weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. There you go. What uh what have you been up to this fall any? any any plans you hunt around montana what What does that look like for you?
2: yeah, I usually hunt around western montana mostly um we had uh opening day for rifle over the weekend, and I had something happen to me that's never happened before and uh I was up with a with a buddy and um heard a little bit of commotion and turned around and this no kidding a springer spaniel um, <laughs> with a hunter orange collar walks up and has a deer leg in its mouth.
1: <laughs> oh man. That's and, well. and we knew
2: that there were, we knew that there were some, you know, some, this is kind of a remote place, but there's still some homes that are kind of out there that were probably, I don't know, a mile away or so, but uh, I don't know. I guess they saw us and were interested in us and they roamed up first, and we kind of shooed them away. And then when they came back the second time, there was a black lab as well. But uh, when they came back, this smaller dog had a, a deer leg in its mouth.
1: Ah, well. so I,
2: I thought it, I thought it would be an omen, you know, for a good day. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's the closest we got to a deer that day.
1: Well, I uh, you never you never know. That's pretty wild. That, I I found, like yourself like sometimes like if I have something just like crazy unexpected happens like something someone comes in messes up a hunt a dog walks in it seems like the hunt turns out better for whatever reason but you just never know
2: <laughs> yeah well it's funny because these two dogs stayed ahead of us like about 80 to 100 yards and they we we there's nothing we could do we, we tried calling them back and after about 20 minutes they finally came back and we kind of shoot them back behind us and they stayed behind us but that first half an hour or whatever when we couldn't reel them in, whoever they belonged to. I mean, they were just spooking whatever was ahead of us. So there might have been more animals up there, and we just only saw four-legged types of the dog variety (laughs) off the get-go.
1: Bummer, bummer. Well, hopefully it uh, turns around for you and you can get a a good quality hunt in without the— with dogs running around and <laughs> messing up your hunting yeah, area yeah. Now do you Makes usually for a good rif-
2: story, but that's
1: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Do you usually rifle hunt? or Are you a bow hunter or a little bit of both?
2: You know, um i I was a bow hunter and actually had my equipment stolen uh, a couple of years ago, and I've not replaced it, so whether or not I do that going forward, I don't know. we'll see, so I'm just I'm pretty much just leaning on rifle at least for now.
1: Jeez, Mark, between the the dogs and people stealing your stuff. <laughs> uh, you're 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 due for a break anytime.
2: Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. I'd like to, you know, drive drive home after work today and have a, have a bull elk walk across my property. That would be great.
1: <laughs> there you go. That's what we all hope for. <laughs> well, cool. Hopefully uh hopefully the rest of the season shakes out for you and and uh, get an elk down. Speaking of yeah, elk, Speaking of, elk, uh, you know, the mainly I want to – I'm very excited to have you on the podcast, Mark, and I've been a big proponent and supporter of the RMEF for um, basically since I moved to Colorado over four years ago, and um, I, I, I'm just – very excited to be able to talk with you about your mission, the uh, the purpose, the background, RMEF, and and what you're doing for elk and conservation, and and a lot of cool things you have going on. So I, I want to dive into all of that. And uh, but at, at first, I just kind of want to get a little background on yourself, and you know, just tell us about you know where uh, basically. Well, let's start with your position as director of communication for RMEF. Tell us a little bit about what that job entails and and maybe when you started with the company.
2: So um, I uh, joined, well, I should say walked in as a full-time employee at RMEF uh, seven and a half years ago. Um, Prior to that, I was actually a broadcast journalist for 24 years, having worked in uh, Kansas, Washington, and Montana. And so I joined seven and a half years ago and uh, head up all uh, internal and external communication, basically. So we're talking uh, news releases, uh, lots of writing, um, script writing, um, interviews, you know, opportunity like like this today to to chat with you, anything and everything that has to do with – with communicating outwardly and inwardly as well. So I I draft uh, newsletters weekly, monthly, and otherwise. I uh, seek for all sorts of elk-related and hunting content, and then just try and let people know um, the things that we're involved with as an organization through various means. Um, I used to back in the day used to head up social media, gratefully pass that on to someone else, and so <laughs> yeah. uh, they do that, and they do digital digital communications as well um, but But when it comes to just communicating who we are and what we do, um, it for me it's it 's all about two words it's content and outreach, and so we look to to generate, create and inform folks about as much content as possible and send it out there on as many avenues that we can so so people can be you know up to speed on anything and everything RMF and elk related
1: okay got it and then you like you said you also do internally so you're you're constantly updating you know maybe your the the internal employees there at corporate and and maybe some of the regional directors and kind of field field staff as well
2: right right um keeping an eye out for not just what's happening inside, but also um, I every morning I, I spend my first 45 minutes kind of going over when and where RMEF has been mentioned around the country by whatever media outlets. Um, if there are um, news items of interest related to uh, conservation, easements, chronic wasting disease, elk, wolves, hunting, deer, predators, um, and other issues that we, we advocate, um, research. I'll come across studies. I'll send those down the hall to our wildlife folks over there and just kind of anything and everything. Like I said, that's uh, RMEF and elk and hunting related. Just try to, try to keep everyone up to speed. And I try to keep, keep up to speed as well about things that, that affect who we are in our mission.
1: Got it. Got it. Very cool. That's gotta be, uh, that's pretty fun. And, and, uh, probably a lot of work at the same time though cuz i'm sure there's a lot of writing involved and and just a lot of uh planning and 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 stuff like that but i'm sure you really enjoy it
2: yeah i really do and and you know one of the one of the key things that i do in my position is i work with and oversee the Bugle magazine staff and they are just they're great uh we've got um staffers that have been here. We have our senior editor who's been here forever. And when I say forever I mean forever. <laughs> like almost to the to the to the very beginnings of RMEF. Uh and then we have others who've been here uh two others are a uh, conservation hunting editor. They've they've each been here more than uh what, twelve, fifteen years and then we have an assistant editor who's been on board a little while. Um she's out of college. She's a, a hunter and an angler and a trapper and a writer and um we just have a we just have a good range of very knowledgeable people that are staffers. And if you've ever picked up Bugle magazine and read it, it's a reflection of uh Kind of who they are and what they do and how they help craft the message that we tell. And so, working with them is is also a key part of what I do, um, and it, it's it's a it's a big piece of enjoyment, to be honest.
1: It really, is. Bugle Magazine's an an awesome read, and I uh, I tell people for for what it's worth. I mean, at the very least, you should join RMEF just to get that magazine. It's just it's it really is one of a kind. That the articles are very well written. It's informational yet. Uh, there 's a number of stories in there, and just uh, it, uh, the, the photography i mean everything about it is is top notch it 's really cool
2: it really is it it 's a great magazine and and the the one word that I would throw out there that 's a descriptive word that you didn 't mention is fat it 's a fat magazine too <laughs> it is <laughs> i 've got the i 've got the november december issue sitting here on my desk it's one hundred and seventy eight pages now granted that 's we don't publish every month or every other month, you know. Uh, but still, there's a lot of content in there. In fact, we've had um, Dan Crockett, our senior editor, that he's the one who's been here forever. He keeps a uh, tally of of our editorial output, and in 2019, we've done um, more pages of editorial than we've ever done in our history. So that's in wow. 35 years. So. So the, the team continues to crank it out. And it, it the thing is, it's all pertinent. I mean, it's pertinent to not just if you're a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, but if you care about conservation and landscapes and hunting and our hunting heritage and all those sorts of things. So there's just a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah,
1: for sure is. Yeah, it's a... Uh like you said it's a, it is a, a huge magazine it's a normal hunting magazine or just magazine in general after i get done reading it you know i can toss it away and or recycle it and no problem these i just i don't want to i don't want to get rid of them cuz they're they're just so cool and like i said it's almost like throwing away a book <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and, and you know if you're a, you're a member that's it's one of the benefits that you get obviously is is the magazine um, but you can also have access to a digital format of the magazine as well you know and one of the things that we found that's interesting about our members and this is in a day and age where where magazines in the newspaper industry to be honest is really struggling is people want that in their hands i mean they they have access to the digital version which is just the same but they like to have the paper in their hands a lot of guys and girls uh, like to take it with them when they go to go out hunting when they set up camp it's just one of the things they take along and read i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said that's exactly what he does i asked him hey have you read such such an article he's like nope i'm saving it for opening weekend when we go out so (laughs)
1: um
2: it's it's uh it's just a great it's a it's a great resource to 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 have and use
1: it really is it really is and and i want to dive into more of the rmef kind of background and 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 all that stuff here in a second but I want to get a little more background on you, Mark, where I know you live and are based in Montana currently, but did you grow up there? Um, tell us about that and then and then maybe how you got involved with hunting and the outdoors.
2: Well, um, I was uh, born in New Orleans, Louisiana. My dad was a petroleum geologist and um, I've got uh, two older brothers and a younger sister and... Um, Along with my mom, we would kind of go where dad's job took us, and so started down there for six years, and then moved to Wichita, Kansas, and then from there moved up uh, for a number of years in Wichita, and then three years up in Calgary, Alberta, and then transferred back to Wichita, where um, where I kind of finished up my 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 schooling, at least you know uh, ninth grade through twelfth grade, and then went on to college and those sorts of things. Um, so I'm kind of a all over the board kind of a guy, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. I guess you'd say, uh, I mean, when I say home now, home means Montana. But if you want to say back home, back home is Kansas. My mom is still there. I have a brother who's still there. Um, My parents were both, uh, both grew up um, a son and a daughter of of hunters or farmers. Um, They raised, my grandparents, my grandpas each raised cattle. And so they grew up in that lifestyle you know hard work, that sort of thing, and they both grew up hunting and fishing, which is interesting because i I was never really exposed to it uh, My dad whenever he had vacation time we would we would take it and we would go out to um southern Utah, which is where my grandparents both lived, and we would spend a week at one place and a week at the other, and he didn't really take off time other than that and so um, even though both of them hunted, uh, and, and, and when we went to Utah, we took, you know, 22s and we would hunt jackrabbits and and that sort of thing. Uh, but I never did any big game hunting except for one time in Canada, my dad took me out and we were, we were, uh, looking for, looking for deer elk. And of course, when that happens, you run directly into a moose. And it was, it was <laughs> I still remember, I think I was 11, so close I could hit it with a football if I'd had a football in my hand, but, wow. um, never got anything that day. We did see a bunch of deer. We couldn't put the sneak on them, but it it wasn't until, uh, until I moved, uh, later in life from Spokane to here in Western Washington. And, uh, it was about this time of year and, and, and I was at church and all the guys are like, you know, swapping photos and looking at each other's phones. And, and I'm, you know, wandering over there and they're showing off, you know, elk and deer and, you know, uh, bears and, all sorts of other critters that they hunt or they'd seen. And I'm like, man, I got to, I got to figure this out. I got to see how to do this. And so I had a a son um, at the time and he wasn't old enough to hunt then, but we just started going out and trying to figure out how to do it, you know, where to go. And we'd go with people and then we'd go with each other. And, you know, one thing led to another and we just love being outside, spending time together and hiking the ridges and going up in the forests, and it's, it's just been a great thing. Uh, my son's an avid hunter. Um, we both, uh, we've both taken elk and we've both taken a whole bunch of deer and we just love being outside. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. So for me to, to be able to, uh, to learn and grow in that manner, kind of on my own in a sense, you know, with my boy and to watch him and watch him learn and grow too, it's, it's just been a
1: blast. That's really cool. sounds like you have a, a very long history of hunting tradition in the family and, and you're still continuing that today. That's, that's really neat. Is that kind of what, you know, the passion for hunting and the outdoors, uh, is that kind of what led you maybe to, to, to want to work for an organization such as RMEF?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, when i was a broadcaster i uh one of the things that i like to do and i i did off and on over the years in, in the various television markets i worked in is i i would do a like a self-generated outdoors report you know which would had nothing to do with forecasts or anything but we'd talk about you know um going frog hunting one week or you know going ice climbing or um you know uh a transplant effort from different organizations of, of sending out pheasants or turkeys or so a lot of anything and everything that had to do with being outside you know and that could be from water skiing to sailing so I kind of I have just always liked being outside and I never I never necessarily thought I should look for a hunting group a conservation group a hunter-based conservation group to work for I was just um, sitting at my table one morning and back in the days when you pick up a newspaper <laughs> and I, I picked up a newspaper and I saw this little teeny ad and it said PR director RMF. I, I recognize the logo and I'd done a couple stories out here I would interviewed the CEO and I'd interviewed Dan Crockett and a couple other employees and I'd I'd done a story uh once about a a land project they did down in the southern Bitterroot Valley uh which is about two hours from where I'm sitting right now in Missoula and uh uh, it was just really neat to go down there and talk to the owner the landowner at the time and he had a chunk of land and he didn't he didn't want it to be locked up he wanted uh, he wanted the public to be able to enjoy it and so he got together with r m e f and um they uh came to an agreement r m e f purchased purchased it and and eventually conveyed it to uh montana fish wildlife and parks and it's now available and open uh, people can go down there and hunt it and hunt the surrounding uh pieces of land that are public as well and so you know, when I when I saw that I thought that was really cool and, and so I told my wife, I'm like, Wow, how sweet would this be? You know. So I uh I went ahead and applied and I didn't hear anything, like nothing for a month and a half. And so I thought, you know, oh well uh and then we're sitting at the table, you know, a month and a half later and, and an email comes in and my wife's like, Hey, you just got an email from RMEF. I'm like, Oh no, it's the dreaded email response, <laughs> and so I, I uh, pulled up the email, and it said, "Hey, um, you know, what are you doing on Tuesday morning? You know, we'd like to have you come in and talk to us." And so I went in and, and interviewed um, with a team of, of three three of the executives here, and um, they said, "Well, you know, we've we've still got um, a couple other people to talk to, so we're thinking like the end of next week." I'm like, "All right, that's cool." I went back to work, and um, the following day, I got a phone call that, that from RMEF that said, you know, hey, we want you to come work for us. Are you interested? I'm like, I'm there. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, so my last day, I, uh, I anchored the—it was a Wednesday, uh, the last day of a May ratings period. I anchored the 10 o'clock news, and Thursday morning, I walked into RMEF and started working here.
1: Wow. That's really cool. That's really cool. Well, it's always, always a great, uh, good things happen, I guess. And, and magic happens, I guess, when, when you can combine a passion with a career and it sounds like you've, you've done just that. So that's, that's really neat.
2: Yeah, it's been great, you know, uh, and it's such a, the, the, the cause that we work for, um, that if you're a member or not, you know, it's really not important. I mean, it'd be great if you are, but if you're not, that's fine. Um, but just to to be involved uh, with furthering conservation work, with protecting landscapes, with improving habitat, um, all those sorts of things, with promoting um, the hunting lifestyle, way of life, and heritage is, is it's just all it's all gravy. It's been really great, and so I've I've really enjoyed it, and we hope to continue to do. The best that we can uh, going forward, you me individually and us as an organization
1: for sure and and on that point let's let's kind of dive into maybe can you paint us a picture of the background, the inception that the history of RMEF when it got started, and then kind of you know its overall mission and purpose. I know we've kind of already touched on that a little bit, but just kind of give us the whole whole spectrum, the background of RMEF, how it started and where it is today.
2: So it was in nineteen eighty four um that, that four guys in northwest Montana there they're elk hunters and they, they got together and and they were like, you know, there there's groups out there that look for look out for all these different animals. You know, there's there's the ducks folks, ducks unlimited, there's wild turkeys, there's deer and mule deer and but there's nobody that's looking after elk and elk country and, and these were you know, Avid Elk hunters and they said, you know, what if we what if we launched a group that did exactly that? And so they scraped together their pennies, literally, and um did the best that they could to to form an organization which they did in in May of nineteen eighty four, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, in Troy, Montana, in a double wide trailer in the middle of a field. <laughs> and, I love it. Um just um and when I say pinch pennies and scrape them together, there's a there's a lot of really interesting and fun stories. One of the one of the founders, one of the four, um, raided his kid's college fund to put money down so that the organization could have day to day funds to start and survive. And his wife, his wife to this day is like, I almost divorced you over that. <laughs> um, but uh, they they just had a passion for what they were doing, and the organization grew and people they started bringing a few more people on board they they put out a magazine that's one of the first promises that they made which is bugle which came out in 1984 as well and um people started having uh offices so to speak by sticking a desk in a closet and they grew a little bit they spent four years in troy they eventually moved to missoula in 1988 and um we they moved into an old warehouse, which is interesting. I, was, I went there when I first got here, and it was – they had – if you've ever been to RMEF, there's, we have this this row of impressive-looking bulls that are mounted on the wall. And Anyway, they were mounted there at that place, which had low ceilings, so you had to watch when you walked by, or you could almost have your eye gouged out by them. <laughs> I
1: bet. But
2: uh, So we moved into this building. We're currently uh, – where our headquarters is located now is right on the banks of uh, Grant Creek Um, just literally a quarter mile off I-90. So we get a lot of people that come through here and stop and visit. But uh, we moved here in, wow, uh, 12, 14, 15 years ago. I can't remember exactly, a little bit before my time. But we have a a beautiful location, and and those of us who work here understand that. And and whereas we may not have been here during the old double-wide days, we realize that the sacrifice that was put forth to get us where we are today and, and so as an organization um, our mission is to ensure the future of elk other wildlife their habitat and our hunting heritage it's been that way from the beginning and it's that's how it is today and so we we try to further that mission um, specifically by identifying landscapes out there um, that are where elk are if you're talking summer winter rage migration corridors, cabin grounds, whatever just just important chunks of land we look to permanently protect those so we look to to raise funds to acquire those and then convey them to a state agency to the forest Service Bureau of Land management, whoever so that it becomes open so to, to public access and Very cool. and the other thing other things that we do is is we do a lot of habitat enhancement work so so we we sponsor and provide funding for uh, prescribed burns Um, you know these are low intensity controlled fires that improve habitat on forest floors a lot of forest thinning and active forest management that that opens up the the tree canopy above so sunshine can get to the forest floors which allows grass and forbs and, and native vegetation to grow which is good for elk and deer and all sorts of other wildlife uh, we seek to to return elk to their historic range if it's feasible, if it works, if there's room. Um, there's a lot of ifs involved, and so we'll work with state agencies, um, local communities, and uh, other folks on the ground. And, and if it works, then, then we go forward with that, and if not, then we don't. And so we've been part of uh, successful restoration efforts in seven states and one Canadian province. Um, we, we also sponsor all sorts of uh, youth camps and shooting clinics and outdoor camps uh, for, for, for boys, for girls, for men, for women. Anything and everything that just kind of lets people know more about conservation and wildlife management. And then we advocate for anything and everything that furthers our mission, and so we have involvement. Um, we have a, a good standing in Washington D.C. on Capitol Hill, working with lawmakers, uh, working with the Interior Department, um, Forest Service, and other folks back there, and also individual state legislatures. We try to be involved um, with topics that that affect elk and affect hunting and affect habitat. So it's kind of a it's a that's kind of the main um, main forks of our mission right there. And we just look to to push forward and do the best we can on those fronts and others.
1: Yeah, it really is a, a multi faceted organization and a number of different, uh, you know, just aspects of of hunting and conservation and elk and, and 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 really the the land and 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 a lot to do with public lands and access and 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 you and I were kind of trading some emails back and forth and uh, in regards to maybe some hot topics or um, maybe agendas or things that you're working on in regards to, uh, you know, other things such as maybe, can you talk a little bit on maybe chronic wasting disease and, and maybe, and then also, we also discussed the, uh, the Wolfrey introduction to Colorado. Cause I know that's a pretty, pretty hot topic, but there's, there's other things that you also kind of get the word out and, and work on as well at the, at the policy level and, state level national levels just let's let's touch base on some on some of those efforts
2: okay um yeah before i dive into cwd uh let me throw out one of our it's always been a focus but it's been more of a recent focus over the last 10 years and that's public access i mean that's really really important i mean you can't you obviously can't go out and hunt or fish or hike or camp if you don't have places to go do those things and so we we've We've put uh, a stronger focus on that, and ideally uh, if we can if we can do a project that both protects elk habitat and opens it to public access then that's a win win um, for everybody it's 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 a win win for um, for elk and for the other wildlife and it's and for those of us who like to have access to those parts of the country and and so just to we have so many projects that are like that but if I could throw one out there, this was just um, in late August it happened. This is along the, the Rocky Mountain Front in Montana, so over in grizzly bear country. But there was a it was a 442-acre piece of property um, where it was really di- – and, and there's thousands of acres behind it of public land. But it was basically surrounded by private land, so you just can't really get there unless you – you could get to that same spot, but you'd have to go a completely different direction, and then you'd have to hike for about three days to get there or something like that. And so we were able to go in there and work with a landowner, uh, work with uh, some partners, and we are able to purchase that property, which which opened the door to um, tens of thousands of acres beyond it. And wow. so that's, that's one of the things that we try to do. We try and do that. Um, this was a Montana project. We've done similar projects in New Mexico and Utah and um other states around the nation washington oregon um back east we've done some in the upper midwest and so that's been a big focus as well there's just so many things that 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 are so important to to elk uh country, elk and elk country and and that's uh that's just a really a really big push right now and we're going we continue to look for and um Receive hints um, on a daily and a weekly basis of people who say, "Well, I heard this piece of property is up for sale. I heard this piece of property is up for sale." And we just try to follow through and 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 do the best that we can to see if that's something that fits and works and benefits everyone. Yeah, so that's that's kind of one of them.
1: Yeah. So how do, how does that work exactly? So Bracky Mountain Elk Foundation buys the property from a landowner from a rancher, and then does it get turned into? Like BLM or National Forest, or does it remain privately held but with a public easement? How does how, what, how does that work exactly?
2: Each project's a little bit different. This particular one was uh, conveyed to uh, the National Forest Service, uh, but we also worked with our state game agency, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and the Dearborn River goes through a slice of it, and uh, that particular. The Dearborn River has some good fishing and um and and in the, in the spring there's there's a lot more water in it than there is right now and so a lot of people float it and raft it and and fish at the same time but so FWP is working with the Forest Service and their plan is to um they're going to put in a little, you know, um little remote uh place for people to park and um have a place where they'll stick a ramp in so people can get get a boat in the water because there's nowhere anywhere close to there. Uh, where people can do that, there's just not access to it. So, and when we talk about access, I mean that's that's big access for you know obviously for people who like to fish and and float and do other things as well, which you know again benefits all of us. So every project's a little bit different. Um, we have projects where we will work with landowners to to buy a right of way easement so we can um, purchase a little chunk of road for a certain time period, 20, 30, 50 years. We had one in New Mexico recently, and I don't remember the length of the easement, but um, it allows people to get into some area that they, they could, a public area that they couldn't get into. And so um, we also have trail easements, or we'll actually work with partners to build a trail to get back into some public land so you can actually walk up and then just hike deep into the back country and get access to, to places that you can't. So every project's a little bit different, um, but the bottom line, we look to to, to protect that country uh, because once it goes into um, s- into management by a state agency or by a federal agency, it is it is public and it's permanently opened. And so th- those two pieces are key.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, and I think I remember reading an article on this or something on the website. Might have been the magazine, but there's been over a mil- this hasn't been a small you know amount of acreage there's been somewhat over a million acres that have been opened up is that correct right right when it comes to public
2: access work we've opened or improved access to more than 1.2 million acres and if you step back and look at the bigger picture we've permanently protected or enhanced more than seven and a half million acres again this is all across the country i think it's 20 28 29 elk states states where wild elks on the ground and so um i mean we have a project right now in nebraska um we uh i said it on a phone call this morning they're kicking around projects in in kentucky and another one in michigan um there's one in montana that's close to closing um so we have projects that that are all across the landscape in the u.s and just you know looking to to a- apply our mission to the ground which benefits elk and other wildlife
1: yeah for sure it sounds like it's really a a full force there what uh what are some of the other kind of main things that you guys work on on a daily basis uh what are some of the other kind of hot buttons right now
2: well you mentioned chronic wasting disease that's that's a big one um and and that's puzzling because it's hard to put your finger on wildlife diseases and, and researchers are having a hard time figuring out what it is exactly how it spreads um So we've we provided a bit of grant funding toward that. Um, The the chronic wasting disease uh, there's a coalition that's out there, Um, and so we've we've provided some funding there. There's well there's all kinds of special CWD related hunts going on in many states right now. In other words, the state agencies have reached out to the hunters and said, look, you know, in this particular section of our state, from you know from this. This point to this point, you know, there's been there's been quite a bit of uh, CWBD that's been positively detected. We want to try and, and thin those areas of the animals. Uh, we're calling on hunters. Hey, if you're available, come on out. You know, um, go out and hunt these areas. And, and then, if you're successful, let's take the animal. Let's get it tested and that sort of thing. And so, um, we're we're involved there and in just really advocating for the effort and encouraging hunters to to, to answer the call because it's gone out from, from many different state agencies to help, to help them um, because they're so few in number, but yet when hunters get out there, they're, they're probably more so than anybody uh, at certain times of the year when there's just big numbers that are on the landscape that can really help them um, determine, you know, if an animal is sick, where it came from, and then they can take that information and, and try and come up with a way to try and slow the spread of this thing
1: yeah yeah for sure and and one thing i gather too with a lot of the efforts of rmef it's not just necessarily about elk it's 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 about wildlife in in, in general and and because the things that you do maybe with the emphasis of elk it does benefit a number of 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 things that are attached to it, like the, the habitat to other animals and and wildlife to public access. And, and, and then you get into some of these other hot buttons, like providing research and and money for, um, efforts of CWD or other studies and, and tracking and, and, uh, you know, maybe collared studies of breeding and, and, and calf survival rate, really, really cool stuff. Uh, so it's very, very well-rounded in that aspect.
2: Yeah, and you're not, you know, when you talk about a specific project and you permanently protect its 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 wildlife values. I mean, we're not we're not talking just wildlife uh values. I mean, there's plant species, there's there's um songbirds and raptors and butterflies and you know, beavers and martens and um western cutthroat uh uh trout. Um I mean, it's it's all-encompassing, and that's that's part of our mission. When we say ensure the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage, um, there's such a benefit when we go in and, and we can work on a given landscape to enhance that habitat, and the trickle-down effects are huge. Um, when when it's you know our focus is is elk, uh, but it is other wildlife, and so when you do something to to benefit elk, it 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 Elk habitat it really benefits so many other species. One of the things that we've seen recently, there's there's a lot of talk and a lot of push to help out the sage-grouse, and um, sage-grouse and elk share a lot of the same landscape, and so when we go into a given landscape, let's say it's in uh, southern Utah, where there's pinion pine and junipers that just are totally encroaching on a sagebrush landscape, if we can go in there and thin out and remove a lot of those um, those spreading tree species uh, where they haven't been on the sagebrush uh, landscape, then that benefits elk and mule deer and sage grouse and, you know, dot, dot, dot. It goes and goes. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely cor- correct. That's a, a great point to make is, is there's is a strong emphasis on other wildlife out there. And, and that's why even though the majority of our membership, is is a hunting membership um we we have a little bit we have a little bit of a stronger uh case or outreach so to speak because we're not just about one animal that people go out and hunt we're about uh, benefiting a landscape for lots of animals
1: yeah yeah it really is and it's and it's nationwide as well a lot of people think Rocky Mountain elk Foundation okay I gotta live in the mountains but I mean you have chapters in pretty much every state if not if not all of them, and you're doing work, like you said, around the country, um, you know, uh, across multiple states.
2: Yeah, we do. You know, we have uh, more than 500 chapters in 49 states, um, everywhere but Hawaii, and it would be nice if Hawaii would would get a chapter, because then they should, then RMEF should send their director of communication <laughs> there to cover their first banquet. Exactly. But, uh, but we do have, um, we're, we're all over the place, and as I mentioned earlier, we had you know, I think there's like 20, 28 states, something like that, that has wild free-ranging elk, but we have chapters in all those other states that don't because um, those folks recognize the benefit of raising funds for elk and elk country and funds that go back on the ground in their community to help out um, hunter, hunter, hunting heritage and uh, outdoor camps and those sorts of things um, that connect people to the landscape. Uh, because more and more in this day and age, uh, more of us live in the concrete jungle, and there's there's just more of a disconnect between who we are and what's outside of our city. You know, a lot of people don't bother to roam outside anymore, and so um, even in these places where, you know, let's Iowa, for example, Indiana, um, Florida, you know, up in New England states, other than, you know, Pennsylvania up there, there, there aren't, they don't have elk in those states, and yet we have Strong followings and 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 our name is a little doesn't exactly represent our membership base just because it's Rocky Mountain although Rocky Mountain elk is a t- is a species of elk but if you were to cut the nation in thirds with kind of an east a center and a west um, you'd be surprised that the different in member difference in membership numbers from region to region is only a difference like fifteen ten to fifteen to twenty thousand from wow. west to central to east so. We we do have strong following um, around the nation, and we have folks who live in other um, places outside of the continental U.S. that support us as well.
1: Very cool, very cool. And since since we traded some emails on it, I wanna I wanna touch on because it's it's very important to me just because of where I live. I'm based in in Western Colorado, and and there's been uh, a pretty big push over the last couple years to reintroduce wolves to western colorado and i know rmef has a has a strong stance opposition towards that initiative but um can you just touch base on that and and maybe for people who don't know what that is uh can you give us a little background on what is doing in regards to the wolf introduction
2: yeah so this is a ballot initiative um in colorado that there's uh there's a group out there um a group of environmentalists uh, that have come together. Uh, a lot of them, I might add, are from out of state or not from Colorado. But um, they're, they're, try- they're in the process of trying to gather signatures to uh, get it placed on the 2020 ballot to forcibly introduce wolves into Colorado. So basically it states that um, if passed, that this would be a directive that would direct Colorado Parks and Wildlife to introduce wolves on the landscape. And so that's um, for those of us who live in the northern Rockies, um, we've been through this, except uh, there wasn't even an initiative. It was just the government came in uh, back in the mid 90s and put wolves on the ground in Yellowstone and in central Utah. And so we've we've lived it um, as far as an animal that, yes, it was here historically. But is that really the best move? for the sake of uh, wildlife cost, um, where humans live, and so many other impacts that are out there. And so as an organization, um, we strongly oppose such a forced reintroduction. You know, we we also maintain that um, where wolves do exist, that they should be managed by state wildlife agencies. I mean, those are the folks that manage elk and deer and bears and mountain lions and antelope, and all sorts of other wildlife. And the, the groups that are behind this effort um, have been against state management and filed lawsuit after lawsuit here in the Northern Rockies um, for quite some time. And there's still lawsuits that are pending um, in the Great Lakes region as well, surrounding the same issue. So um, there's, just, there's, there's a litany of reasons why this is just a bad idea. And I don't think people are fully educated on what this will cost. Them from their pocket, taxpayer-wise, nor what it's gonna, what the impacts will be on the landscape.
1: Yeah, it, uh, you know, it really was eye-opening for me when I kind of dove into this this wolf uh, debate last. I, I, I had, as as you know, I, I did have the, um, I think Mike Phillips. He was part of the. Rocky Mountain Wolf Project and Senator Montana who was part of the reintroduction to the to the Yellowstone um, uh, reintroduction in the 90s and I had him on the podcast kind of I was ignorant to the their whole agenda and purpose but I for myself I wanted to find out you know what what they were all about so I had him on the podcast and and my whole plan was to to have a, a rebuttal and have a have somebody who's more of a an independent um, you know who's has worked with carnivores and 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 managed and and studied these these effects. and so I had on a follow up guest, and it was really eye opening to hear the differences between you know the the agenda of these groups for the introduction versus what the actual facts are. And and the numbers and and what impacts would it have short and long term? So it was it was really informational for me to find out both sides. But after her, after having both groups on my podcast, it was it was really clear that it, it, it is not a good idea, and I, I am I'm definitely against a forced reintroduction.
2: So it, you know it's interesting. Um, in, we've done some outreach on the ground in Colorado, just talking to regular folks. Um, did a little bit of polling on our on our own, and we found that, that 92% of Coloradans have a favorable attitude toward Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I mean, those are the biologists, they're the wildlife professionals, those are the folks who manage wild populations, you know, within the borders of Colorado. But this initiative, in and of itself, um, in, and whereas they may use words like science-based and, and cooperation – that's not what this is. This isn't working with Colorado parks in my life. This is telling them what to do. And you mentioned, um, Mr. Phillips is, is from Montana. Um, a lot of these people are from outside the state. They have what they call a science advisory board. 15 members are from outside of Colorado. You know, Mike Phillips is, he's one of their main spokesmen. He's from, he's not from Colorado. He's from outside Colorado. So the, the, the firm that's tasked with gathering signatures—they were hired from outside of Colorado. So people in Colorado need to understand that a lot of these people behind this effort are not from Colorado. They're not proposing to bring any funding with them to help with this effort. They want to bring wolves in from again outside the state of Colorado, put them in, in on the ground in Colorado, and then and then they back off. And they—I've seen some some various reports out there what this would cost. They a lot of times they quote a, a legislative council study that it would cost, you know, $340,000 the first year, 460 the next year, and that's where they leave it. Um I've seen that same report and that report the third year shows that those numbers double to more than $800,000 and in fact after year 8 it's $6 million with an annual cost going forward of $800,000 per year and those are minimums and from uh, from where we sit up here in the Northern Rockies, those numbers will be. I'm fairly confident to say that it's going to cost a lot more than that on an annual basis. If you look at the uh, if you look at the annual reports, the wolf management reports out of Wyoming. Granted, wolves have been there since 1995. Um, that's 1.5 million a year that that has to be spent. And you might say, okay, so that's a long time ago. What about a more recent state over in Washington? Wolves have not been in Washington that long, but they did make their way to Washington from that transplant in 1995. It cost them more than $1.2 million every year to manage wolves. We're talking overall management, damage prevention, livestock losses, livestock depredation, um, research, um, all these things. And so that's the the bigger picture. It's going to cost people um, in Colorado for this effort if it's successful, and the people that are going to have to pay for it are the people of Colorado.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's that's the one thing that's that's really eye opening, and is and you see it from a historical perspective, just like what you've talked talked on is you have these groups that that file these lawsuits, and and they're trying to base the management off of emotion or maybe a certain agenda and and not manage it based off the numbers and you've seen it get out of control in other states um, from populations to the cost and managing and, and one thing that was really eye-opening to me listening to this carnivore ecologist talk about wolf management he said once they're once they're there they're very 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 tough to manage through hunting there and and trapping um they're just not very easily kind of kept in check so a lot of times once it's once they're introduced it's just kind of kind of is what it is and it's it's they're here to stay and it's very tough to get a handle on
2: right um you know the the minimum uh numbers um when the feds, federal government came in and said, you know, in the mid 90s, hey, we're putting wolves on the ground. Um, let's let's take the state where I'm where I uh, live, uh, Montana. They they had a minimum. They said, okay, Montana, you've got to have a minimum of 100 wolves on the ground and 10 packs. Well, Montana's like, okay, well, let's let's make sure um, that we don't go below that number. So let's make it 15 packs and 150 wolves, and so because. Because otherwise, if it gets down to 10 packs and, and 100 or less than those two two numbers, um, they would be listed again, which means they're totally hands off and you can't manage them. So today, that um, population in Montana is 300 to 400 percent above minimum recovery. Um, in fact, they don't know exactly how many are out there. It's it's kind of a minimum estimation on a yearly effort, but they're they're widespread um, all all up here and uh we do have um trapping and hunting and it's it's difficult to do to keep numbers down especially in concentrated areas where where wolves and other predators combined with mountain lions and uh grizzly bears or black bears where they're combined I mean they they take as a as a full menu of predators um they they have a significant hit out there um so and something else to consider for, for Colorado, it's yet to be determined if hunting is even going to be part of management. And from what we've seen, from what we've seen these groups who are behind, who are proponents of this effort do in filing lawsuits is, is they, they are against management. They can tell you otherwise, but history shows that some of the same groups involved in this are against and, and would not allow it. And when you couple that with um, probably the most effective way to, to manage wolves is trapping and Colorado has very restrictive trapping um, regulations. It, it would make it very difficult and, um, and if they were to bring in you know batches of wolves and release them um, they would not be able to, to manage them or it would be very difficult to manage them to certain levels um, and, and these populations will spread I mean if you look at where they were introduced into Idaho and where they are now They're 600 miles away in northwest Washington. They're 600 miles away in northern California and in points in between in Washington and Oregon, um, throughout Idaho, and obviously in Idaho and Montana and Wyoming as well. So they will spread. So if you hear that, oh, they're just going to be introduced into western Colorado, they will spread. They will spread throughout the mountains. Um, They'll be over Estes Park. They'll be in Rocky Mountain National Park. They'll be throughout the state of Colorado. They'll be down around Durango. And they'll push and go beyond the borders. They'll be they'll go into into Utah and in the southern states below Colorado. And so there's just a a wide range of things to really consider here. And it, it's also interesting to to point out that um I mean I mentioned that Coloradans have a have a support and a trust of uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Three times in the past, um, CPW's uh, gone on the record and said this is a bad idea, and the most recent was 2016. They, they said straight up they opposed the intentional release of any wolves into Colorado. And so those are your wildlife professionals, and those are the people that Coloradans need to pay attention to.
1: For sure. And, and along those lines, is what, what can one do – Maybe to voice their concerns. Is there anything coming up uh, that you know at a at a state level, or um, I think you said a ballot initiative that we should be aware of, and 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 what can we do to to make our voices heard?
2: Well, I guess the most important thing is just to just like on anything you vote on. I mean, you don't you don't go to the polls and just kind of vote for whatever candidate. You kind of find out who they are, and and you know what he or she represents. You know, you don't just walk in there and check a box and call it good, hopefully not, but um <laughs> the most important thing is, is just to get up to speed on what this and any other initiatives are so you know what you're voting about and the impacts that it's gonna have on you. Um, you know, you you said earlier that that this group or these groups are, are they're kind of just making an emotional appeal, they talk about, you know, like it's a romantic notion of having a howl in the back country and therefore the state would be whole and balanced and, and all these sorts of, you know, highbrow ideas. And, and that's, that's really pie in the sky thinking. And that's, that's just not, it's just not true. And so uh, getting educated is up to speed. Um, RMEF is, is we're going to be putting out some messaging and some information. There's other people that are on the ground Um, I would say to to people who are listening, if you if you read an article in a newspaper, really look at it and then see if that's if those things that they say are true, Um, because there's a there's a lot of things that are being said right now that are not true at all. Uh, There was a report that I saw recently, a television report that said that that was just stated as as if it were factual, that having wolves on the ground would be a great way to curb chronic wasting disease and And stop its spread, well, that's not true because uh chronic wasting degree- disease is on the ground in montana in Wyoming, where wolves are present, and it's only spreading it's just there are things like that that they may you may think they make sense, but they really don't they really yeah. don't and so um, just don't believe what what you see you know, do your own research um and I would say anything and everything that I'd said to, said today, go ahead and look it up and and you know, call me to the carpet and say, "Well, you said Wyoming paid 1.5 million dollars in wolf management. Where did you get that from?" Well, I, I took it right from their wolf management reporting. So, look it up for yourself. Anything and everything that, that that I'm I'm claiming or we're claiming as an organization. I mean, do your research. If you if you read something and you don't agree with it, and if you see it in a newspaper, then write write a rebuttal. Um, but the most important thing is to be informed when the time comes that if this does end up on the ballot, that you vote for um, what you think is right.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and do you know if there is anything that is coming up on a certain ballot in a, in a, a future election, or um, do you know have any information in regards to that? you know
2: i, I do see <clears throat> one of the things that i do in uh, monitoring the the media that's out there is is i see that they have gatherings now and again um some of these groups down in colorado the cr club and others hold little informational sessions now and again um i i would say if if you want to know uh what what they think and look at this issue show up at those and ask questions and make some statements um, and, and challenge some things just like i said a second ago if you would challenge what i'm saying i challenge what they say yeah i read an editorial in the in the one of the um, newspapers last week that was stating all these same things over and over again and that they're just not so it's it's just not so um... and there's going to be great impacts impacts we haven't talked about impacts to the economy um, some of these small towns where hunters come in from various parts of colorado or from out of state to hunt um, if if elk numbers go down, those towns and the economies will suffer. Um, the hunting industry, which is a big industry and the outdoor industry in Colorado's big, you know, could very well take a hit. It took a hit up here during wolf introduction, at times as well. So there's a lot of impacts that are out there, um, and they're they're wide ranging.
1: Certainly, certainly. Um, are there any other kind of hot button topics that that you're working on right now? Or have we pretty much covered the the gamut of of conservation, public access, uh, wildlife studies, and 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 obviously this wolf introduction. But anything else we need to, to hit on there?
2: Well, I guess another one would, would probably be just active forest management. If it, it's interesting, so so I live I live west of Missoula, uh, about fifteen miles. I live up in the woods, up on a bench, and right above my house, about a quarter of a mile is a a block of forest service land and when i go up there uh, i walk up there and i walk through someone's property one of the neighbors who gives me permission to walk through there and when i walk onto that forest service land immediately at least this particular piece of it there's downed trees and the trees are really thick and there's just stuff all over the forest floor and when you have all sorts of you know downed woody debris and the sun's not shining through look on the forest floor, you know, where you hike and there's not much to eat there. Well, then that's a pretty good indicator that it's poor habitat for for elk or deer or a bunch of other wildlife to go and actually live and survive. What's interesting about this particular piece of land and the reason that I brought that up is it's connected to a piece of state land that's been thinned and um thinned and some of the trees have been removed or logged. Now we're not necessarily proponents of going out there and you know, uh, removing big chunks of of forest over there, you know, and and just cutting everything back. But uh, where you thin um, and the sun gets, like I said before, the sun gets through the forest floor, then grasses can grow and and native shrubs can grow. And that benefits everything, you know, little critters that are on the ground as well and birds and, and all sorts of things. So one of the things that we really advocate a lot for is active forest management. We see places where there's been a litigation filed that, that stops a lot of this forest management. Um, there may be places where that's warranted, but a lot of places it's like we need to look at look what's going on out there, especially in this day and age of these crazy wildfires. Um, we need to actively forest actively manage our forests that will reduce um, the possibility of catastrophic wildfire which is not good for anything or anyone. Yeah. And it improves forest health and improves habitat at the same time. So that's I guess that's another uh, another of the other issues that that we we support.
1: That's very cool. Very cool. Again, multifaceted, a lot of different a lot of different uh efforts going on and I think that's that's really great, really cool stuff. Um I want to tr- I want to transition to becoming a RMEF member. How, how does how does one go about doing that and maybe if somebody wants to be more than just a member where they either pay the, you know, subscription or pay the $35 and, and, and you're a member, how can somebody go beyond that and and maybe become more hands-on within the organization?
2: Well, I guess the easiest way to, to to get more involved with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is just to go to our website, rmef.org. Um, you could also, uh, we have a, a, a toll-free number, 1-800-CALL-ELK. I think that's right. It doesn't say that on my business card, but one eight hundred, one eight hundred two 225 5355 But really go to rmef.org, and, and that gives you a chance to click around a little bit and, and look at some of the, the conservation efforts and the habitat work we're involved in. We have various levels of membership. Um, it is $35 for an annual membership, which gets you six issues of Bugle Magazine and some some different kind of perks here and there, some discounts on some um, some of the gear from some of our um, some of the outdoor industry groups that 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 uh, support us or sponsor some of our efforts. And so there's there's those things. Um, we have chapters, as I mentioned, 500 chapters. So chances are there's a chapter near you,
3: um,
2: wherever you might live. Colorado is is uh, uh, it's a uh, stronghold of RMEF membership. Uh we've got more than 17,000 members in Colorado and they're they're very active and just just great folks and who run uh, banquets and other events that that take place. Um so there's a, there's a chapter that's near you and these banquets you get together and um you usually get a meal and there's there's raffles and prizes and drawings and it's just a fun time to to go hang out for an evening. Um you can hang out with people who are you know, like-minded people who, who love the outdoors and that sort of thing. And, and every dollar you spend when you walk in the door, if it's for dinner or otherwise, is, is turned around and goes toward our mission. And so, you know, we just, if you have questions about RMF, about who who we are, I would go to the website, first of all, and click around um, if you'd like to join. And then go go check out a chapter uh, a, a chapter banquet. They're a lot of fun. And if you'd like to do something beyond that, uh, we have more than 12,000 volunteers around the nation. And these are the folks that, that host the banquets. But More than that, we have various volunteer activities where people can go out on the ground and they can pull old fencing or uh, plant uh, tree saplings or remove noxious weeds, um, build uh, wildlife. They call them wildlife guzzlers. They're water sources. They're like buried tanks and, and tanks that are above ground in arid parts of the country that benefit you know elk and deer and birds and all sorts of other critters that come along and so we have a lot of volunteer projects as well so there's a there's a lot of different ways to to get involved and it you know it's really like anything if you're if you really like something that's cool if you're passionate about it you want to do more then then go ahead and dive in and and we say the same when it comes to rmef
1: yeah that's that's really good stuff and 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 for those have never attended an rmef banquet that's a that's a really good introductory like you said mark to to get a really good feel the organization um you can become a member there they do all sorts of raffles the first the first one i went to i put in for a uh a gun raffle and I want a hunting rifle, uh, you know, which is... Which oh, is... you're going you're gonna to
2: build people up right there. So every time they
1: show up, they win. <laughs> exactly. That's what, I tell, that's what I tell everybody. <laughs> it's like, go to the banquet, you'll probably win a gun. That's my pitch.
2: <laughs> so but, when, when I go to a banquet, I win nothing. And the reason is, is you know, obviously I'm an employee, so I, we're, we're ineligible. So I can go to, to a banquet and uh, I can buy a dinner and sit and wander around that's pretty much it but uh that's you know that's understandable what what would happen if you know hey there's a there's a guy who heads up communications look he's won four guns tonight
1: that's enough so yeah something skewed there what's uh what's going on in the back we don't we don't want that happening (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but it's really cool and you know gun raffles you have um you know there's a lot of organizations that donate gear and and uh you know, just all, again, all goes back to, to the cause. And it's just, a, like I said, it's a really good feel to, to interact with some of the, the local chapter members to other people in the area of your community. And, and really just, it, it's just a lot of fun. So I recommend those. And those mainly take place in the spring, uh, starting kind of in the winter and kind of go through spring in a lot of parts of the country.
2: Yeah, generally speaking, over the first you know four or five months of the year, you know, back east they they do some of them later. It just kind of depends wherever. But again, if you go on our website, there's an opportunity. I'm I'm looking at our Colorado page right now, and it it says that the what's the date today? It says the next. There's a there's an event in Grand Junction in November. Uh, there's one in Fort Collins. Uh, in November, there's there's a it's a women's only deal in Grand Junction. In December, no men invited. Those are kind of the fun <laughs> things that popped up recently. And then a lot of the a lot of the banquets really kick off in January and go through the the beginning months of the year, especially in Colorado.
1: What are some of these other events I, I've noticed uh, in the magazine? There's the the Elk Camp and and Mountain Festival, and I think those were in Utah this past summer. Talk to us a little bit about those and and kind of what those events are all about
2: so elk camp is our is our annual national convention and we've had it in different places over the years uh you know just over the last five years we've been you know, vegas and nashville and last year we were in park city and uh really liked it in park city it's uh it's, it's elk country uh we, we change the focus a little bit we have we have some usual set historic things that we do we gather together and honor volunteers and and uh give out some awards to various state agencies who assist with um elk restoration and elk habitat work and those sorts of things but we added a new element this year called Mountain Festival and it was we had about oh 75 to 100 booths of vendors that set up and you could go and you know you could try out a pair of binoculars or go you know uh look at some of the some of the archery supplies the new bows that are out um, we brought in the total archery challenge. If you've, if you've not heard of that, we brought in those folks. And what that is, is it, it's, a um, it's not a competition, but they set up 3d targets all over the side of the mountain. And I can't remember how many courses we had there in park city. I want to say we had like five courses. And so people would go out and they'd, they'd have their packs on their hunting packs and their bow and their arrows with them. and They'd hop on the, the chairlift and they'd go up the mountains. And then they would go they go do this particular course on a day from station to station, and we're not talking, you know, you shoot an arrow at a a mule deer, a 3D target, and then you go another 10 yards and shoot something. You shoot, and then you go hike a ways, and so it's it's to to mirror the experience, and it's it's not about you know hitting um, the absolute middle of a target. It's about going out there and uh, being with those who are like you, you know, if you go out with a buddy or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, there was a lot of that going on. Take their kids, and they go, and they're up on the mountain for half a day, you know, um, shooting a course or shooting two courses. And then we have other events that are going on. We have the World Elk Calling Championships that are going on. We had uh, five or six different folks, uh, country music performance performers last year, uh, that were there and took part. Craig Morgan capped off our camp, and and he, uh, great guy, longtime supporter of RMF, just a terrific guy. He had a concert in, I want to say it was Pennsylvania on a on a Friday night, and then he flew out to Park City, but just because he said, hey, do you think you'd be able to come out? He's like, yeah, and so he flew out uh, with his band and and did a concert for us on a Saturday, and then on Sunday night he had a concert in New York. Wow. So just a just a great guy and put on a great show and so we had a number of now that was actually an indoor show but all the rest of them were outdoors under the stars in an amphitheater that's right there, um so it it, it was just a great time it was a lot of fun uh, we look to do it even better uh, next year and you know that's for for uh, the the elk camp part is for people who are members of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation the Mountain Fest was just open to the public as was the Total Archery Challenge. Just anybody who wants to come, RMF members or not, and there, I think we had 3,000 shooters last year who had their bows and arrows with them.
1: That's really cool. I'm going to have to look into the whole out camp and and, and making the trek wherever it's going to be this next summer because it sounds really fun, and, it, again, all goes back to the cause and just really gets you out there, and it's, it's really, uh, it sounds like a really neat experience altogether.
2: It was fun, you know, especially at night. Um, we had different programs. We watched, we unveiled some some hunting films or or, or RMF films. They weren't all necessarily hunting. Some of them had to do with conservation projects, and we were able to to show those. And and we had you know lots of seating, and we were sitting out under the stars, and we'd watch those, and different people would talk, and and then we'd we'd cap the evening off with some uh, with some music. So it was just just a fun a fun time all the way around. And it was a we wanted to do something a little different than our usual conventions, and I, I think we've hit on something pretty nice here.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And and you guys also have another pretty popular event um, exhibit coming up here in December. It's called the Cowboy Christmas. Can you tell us a little bit about that, where it's based, and, 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 and what exactly that entails?
2: Yeah, so Cowboy Christmas runs in conjunction with the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas. So it's a 10-day run. Cowboy Christmas, is it's a long-time expo um, that just packs in hundreds of thousands of people um, through the, these expo halls. This is in the Las Vegas Convention Center. It's in the south halls, and so Cowboy Christmas is downstairs, and then we're upstairs from them. It's the, uh, I guess the official title, if you want to, if you'd like to have one, is the Army of Hunter and Outdoor Christmas Expo. And so you can just take the stairs or the ex, uh, the escalator up and down, and. Um, we are, our, whereas the focus downstairs is anything and everything cowboy and rodeo related, upstairs it's more Western lifestyle, hunting and outdoor related. And so, you can check out the best in optics and firearms and archery equipment. Um, we have some fishing up there. We have outfitters that are up there. You know, if you're if you'd like to check out different trips to, to fish or, or hunt or whatever, there's a lot of that going on. There's also um, a, a pretty cool deal up there if you like rodeo and and I for one you know I live in Calgary for three years so I was I went to the Calgary Stampede every year I love rodeo but um, they have the the Junior World Finals up there it's it's on our our show floor um, upstairs and and we're talking these are kids who are they're kids you know who are taking part in in rodeo events and so young kids uh, boys girls um, all the basically all the same type of events that the the big boys big cowboys and cowgirls have at the the main arena in Vegas Now uh, they have it on a smaller level there and and thousands of people come in and there's lots of seating there and so you can come watch the the little ropers and the little pole benders uh come perform and then walk around and just check out all the vendors and so that's a 10 day run um, that that goes on it's uh December 5th through the 14th in, in Las Vegas uh just just a lot of fun and it's free admission and open to the public. So you can just walk in and check things out.
1: That's really cool. That's really cool. Lots, lots of stuff going on with RMEF and, and, and speaking of that as well, that, that the elk network website, uh, talk to us about that because there's a lot of cool content on there from hunting and, um, you know, there's like gear lists, there's, there's cool videos, lots of articles pertaining to, elk and elk hunting um talk to us about that website because that's that's got that's jam packed with information
2: yeah that and that's one of the things that i'm really involved with is on a daily basis i'm looking for content to push here and and write up and place on here and i work with our digital media director who does such a great job over there
0: chad does but uh
2: yeah, um it, recipes, um elk facts, biology facts, that's actually the most uh, popular page we have on on this on our whole site and on rmef.org. we have the same page on both of these sites which by the way are going to be merged uh in the next couple of months here so we're going to have a whole new look uh for our platform. So the Elk Network is just going to become part of uh rmf.org but One of the things that's on the elk network that maybe a lot of people don't realize is, is we had a, we had a a show on the outdoor network for a number of years called team elk. And so it's on there and as are all of the episodes. So if you like elk hunting, you can go on there and it doesn't cost you anything. Just click and watch, um, all these shows that were on the air for I think six years or something like that. And so, um, we also, we also, uh, do a lot of high end um films that that kinda of push out who we are and, and what we believe is uh the importance of conservation and so those are on there as well and and then just anything and everything elk related. Um, I'm I'm on there right now and let's see one of the the top story for example is is uh, a short film on one of our chapters in Tucson that'll give you an idea of if you go to a banquet uh, what they do and then there's an archery grant for a new range in Minnesota and then the next article is help needed to find an elk poacher in Utah so anything and everything that that's related to to elk and to hunting and the outdoors um we look for it and put it on there and then try to make that available for people so they can uh, they can learn more
1: That's really cool. Yeah. I I was checking out the website. Like I said, it's, it's been a resource for me, you know, getting starting with, getting started with elk hunting four years ago from, you know, how to's from scouting to, to, to gear list. And then, like you said, there's, there's a lot of good recipes and, and stuff on there. Just anything you want to know about elk it's, it's on here. News related to strategies to just downright, just good entertainment. So that's uh, a really great site.
2: And it's, As you mentioned, there's a lot of before, during, and after the hunt stuff. And and this is stuff that just various hunters have have learned over the years. And it can be, you know, video clips from them. It could be old Bugle Magazine articles or current articles. Just anything that that helps you prepare for what to do during and then after the hunt, what's next. And so, um, you know, lots of gear, lots of uh, just lots of things that hopefully get you more up to speed on, on elk and elk hunting and conservation.
1: Well, Mark, this is this has been a great podcast, and I think we've covered a lot of lot of ground here. And and um, I just want to round out the episode by saying thanks again to to coming on the show and, and telling us about the organization and the things that you're doing, giving us a little background on yourself, and talking about some of the initiatives and events that are going on. So uh, again, really appreciate you coming on, and and we'll definitely have to get you back on for a future episode.
2: Oh you bet. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate that and you know, I'm hoping the next time I go out hunting that I don't necessarily have a dog walk up to me with a deer <laughs> leg in its mouth, but have a little better uh little better showing. But still it's all good. It's it's just really enjoyed it and uh appreciate the time and um yeah, just it's, it's been great.
1: Well thanks again, Mark. You have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon, all right. All right, take care. All right. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Mark for coming on the show. I had a blast. It was a great time and hope to have you back on sometime in the future. I hope you guys, for everyone listening, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I know I did learning a lot about the beginning and the in the background and the history of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, and talking about a lot of the, the current topics, events, uh, conservation work, habitat work, land access, uh, you know, you name it, it. It really does, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation really does a lot for not only elk, but all wildlife and land and habitat. So that, that was really cool and informational for myself. If you guys aren't a member I highly recommend you you join. It's thirty five bucks. You get the badass Bugle magazine. It's probably the best magazine that's that's out there in regards to hunting and and articles and information. Um, for what it's worth, pay the thirty five dollars and uh, you know don't take my word for it. Just do it, and you, you'll you'll probably be a member for life, year after year. So, uh, highly recommend that you become a member i just got my my uh magazine in the mail and it said that's my last issue i need to re-up so after i get off the podcast i need to (laughs) renew my subscription but uh for again for anybody who's out there still hunting uh in the west got some rifle tags doing some late season hunting good luck for all my whitetail hunters in the midwest good luck stay in the tree as long as possible it's november anything can happen and uh, just have fun. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what hunting and conservation and being an outdoorsman really, truly is. It's just being outside and, and becoming one with nature and, and uh, having fun and, and uh, you know, getting some time away. And, and, and spending time with friends and family. All right. I've, I have bored you guys enough. Big thanks to our sponsors, Expedition Archery, Skull Brewer Coffee and Outdoor Edge Knives. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.